hello, everyone out there. This is Michelle Moross, and you are listening to Mental Shift, Reach Your Full Potential. If you're wondering who in the world Michelle Moross is, please find me at www.mynamemichellemoross.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-M-R-A-S.com. And I wanted to ask you all to reach out to me on social media if you'd like to be on the show or you know someone who should be on the show, please send them my way because I will answer. Today we have an awesome guest of mine. I met him in LA and he was talking about being at Harvard and speaking there and meeting cool people and I got to talking to him more <laughs> and learned that he does so much more than what he was talking to me about. Please meet Dave Nassani. He is the caregiver's caregiver and you can find him on www.caregiverdave.com. He has uh, a lot of things going on. He's a award-winning uh, award speaker, a best-selling author of multiple books, right? And um, he's on a syndicated radio show, podcast, you name it, Dave's doing it. He makes me look like a freaking slacker is what he makes me look like. Dave, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. What a nice introduction. <laughs> you just... make me feel like a slacker, Dave. Well, I apologize for that. <laughs> but I wasn't always this way. This only happened a couple of years ago. Exactly. And that's what we have you on the show for, mm. because I want to know more about the background behind Caregiver's Caregiver or Care Caregiver Dave, because you have a full story on how this all happened. You used to be in the oil industry, oil and gas industry? Gasoline, yeah. Gasoline. And then what happened? Well, I've been in the gas station business for 45 years, actually, since I was 12, because my father was in the business. And I went to USC to try to get out of that business because I hated going to school with grease under my fingernails. I was a grease monkey, mechanic, you know. And after I graduated, um, I found that I had a wife of one year because we fell in love. She was 10 years older than me. She had a five-year-old and a 12-year-old. Everyone said I was crazy. But I was in love. And so my father came up to me and he says, well, are you done fooling around with college? You're ready to make some real money in the gas station business. And normally that remark would have really turned me off because that was the attitude that I left. And all of a sudden with a new wife and a 12-year-old who needed braces, uh, it sounded like a pretty good deal because I had went interviewing. And the only job that uh, was available at that time, 1976, I could have been a uh, financial uh, planner for General Telephone, but I had to move to Vermont. And nobody wanted me to move to Vermont from sunny Southern California. So I said, okay, let's do it, Dad. <laughs> so we worked together in this tiny little gas station because he had lost his big gas station because he was going through a divorce because he cheated on my mother. Oh, and so after a couple of years, we kind of outgrew it. So he went to another station and I went to another station and I've been at that station that I went to Castaic Lake for, well, since 1979, the gas shortage. And that is uh, sometime in between about 22 years after I married my beautiful soulmate. And we, we had a fairy tale, storybook, romance, courtship, and marriage the first 22 years of our lives. And life was good. I mean, we were getting ready to enter into the empty nest phase of life. You know, I don't know. I don't think you're there yet. Yes, I but am. It's, oh, are you? 
And it's where all the kids are grown up and, and you're free and you don't have to worry about leaving town and having them destroy your house and, and having wild parties. But one day she's complaining to me about this headache that she had, the headache of her life, she called it. And by the fourth day, we decided uh, to call the ambulance. But unfortunately, by the time the ambulance came, it was too late. She had suffered a massive stroke, left her severely speech impaired, paralyzed on one side. And I had to learn how to become a caregiver. Our world turned upside down. I made a lot of mistakes because caregiving uh, wasn't on my resume. <laughs> Never prepared for it. Didn't even know what the word meant. Well, after a while, we worked through the grief process, two years of it. And it got so bad, I had actually written her a letter because I couldn't take it anymore. You know, I'm, I'm a patient guy. I'm a great guy. I'm a low-key guy. And I could survive on crumbs, but I wasn't even getting crumbs. So I write her this letter. I say, Dear Charlene, <laughs> it's so hard being your husband, uh, caring for you 24-7 without getting any love or appreciation in return. I know it's hard on you, but you're making it even harder on me. I just don't think I can be with you anymore. I mean, I'll take care of you financially, but I just can't be with you. So I write that letter, and I'm reading it over and over again. And I said, I can't give this to her. How can I give this to the mother of my children, to my soulmate, to the woman who I have spent the last 22 years to? So I just file it away in this filing cabinet right next to me here. And I proceed in my grief and my loneliness and my hopelessness. And then one day I find a business card in my pocket. I don't know how it got there, who gave it to me. It was inviting me to this caregiver support group. Like I said, I didn't even know what a caregiver was. <laughs> but I figured if somebody gave it to me, maybe they figured I needed it. So I went. And everything changed. I met people who were just like me, burned out caregivers. I learned if I didn't put my oxygen mask on first, like the airplane uh, uh, stewardesses have told me time and time again that I tune them out, then I couldn't take care of my wife. Mm -hmm. Well, after a while, I just started to take care of me so I can take care of her. And to my amazement, she started to slowly change. Uh, she started becoming her old self again. Our love was rekindled. And now we... Uh, help other caregivers because I realized by, by watching her that other caregivers just like me were going through the same problems. And I made all the mistakes. I figured I can help them make mistakes. I can help them not, uh, you know, leave their wife uh, like I almost did and, and, and go through the pain and the suffering. So I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver. We both know Craig Duswalt. Uh, I joined his mastermind, his boot camp, and they really helped me get a brand. And that was the brand that I got from their hot seat. And then they helped me to build a website, caregiverdave.com. And then they helped me to turn it into a membership website. And then they helped me get on the radio. This was like six years ago. And then they helped me to um, uh, just market my stuff with out-of-the-box out of marketing. And then I met another guy through them, Clint Arthur, and he just took everything that Craig had given me and laid a foundation for and exploded me into the stratosphere. And he taught me how to be on, uh, to book myself on television. I've been on 25 uh, morning shows, ABC, NBC, NBC, and Fox from Hawaii to Washington, D.C. 
he booked me and gave me speaker training on how to speak at Harvard and NASDAQ and Coca-Cola, Mercedes-Benz and the New York bar and West Point. And, and now I'm going to be in Carnegie Hall uh, this, at the end of this month, just sharing my message for caregivers, how to stay alive. And so I encourage if anyone knows a caregiver, anyone knows anybody who's in a caregiver space, just turn them on to our Caregiver Dave community support group, and you just might be saving their life. Heck, you might be saving your own life. And this is what I do now. I'm just, uh, I've become this celebrity just in the last two years. And I, I really enjoy helping people stay alive and stay out of the hospital because AARP says 30% of caregivers actually die before their loved ones do. And most of the others just become sicker, become hospitalized, and need a caregiver of their own. And if you know any caregivers, think of them. Uh, how are they doing? Probably not very well. You know, they don't eat right. They don't sleep right. You know, they don't put their needs first. They've isolated themselves from their friends. They don't go out and, uh, you know, do their hobbies anymore. They don't go to the gym. You name it. So it's a serious epidemic. I like to call it the caregiver tsunami. It's coming, you know, and nobody knows. Nobody is talking about it. Just like Social Security, there's not enough people putting into Social Security, but too many people taking it out, and nobody talks about that. So that's my mission in life now, to raise awareness that caregivers need help. And states like Hawaii uh, have actually passed a state law that says we are going to give caregivers $1,500 a month, whether you work full-time or not, to help with your respite help bring someone in so that you can regain your sanity. They're the only state in the union that I know of that is doing this. Interesting, huh? Well, it's very interesting. Basically what I'm hearing is you guys got a big old bowl of, of lemons and figured out a way. To, <laughs> uh, and in some cases you might've put some tequila in there, but yeah. Lots of tequila. <laughs> well, we talked about this when I was on your show because a lot of people don't even realize they are caregivers until they're in deep. Yeah. And then they do, whoa, wait a minute. I don't have a life. I haven't done anything. I'm, I'm lost. I, even, I lost who I am. And I think that's where you come into play is you're trying yeah. to wake people up to, hey, you still have a life. You're still human. You're still living. You need to still take care of your needs or you're going to go insane. Yeah, a lot of times when I talk to other audiences, you know, I don't only talk to caregivers, but I, I want people to be aware that if you're not a caregiver, don't tune me out because just wait. You're either going to become one or you're going to need one. And now is the time to learn, first of all, what does the word mean and how to become one. Don't wait until you know a tragedy happens and you're thrust in the situation like I was. And now you're just scratching your head. You don't have time to read a book. You don't have time to uh, take a seminar or or learn what uh, caregivers have to do. And uh, like I told you before, you may be a caregiver, you don't even realize you want. I mean, it might just be your neighbor, your elderly neighbor who you watch out your window every morning when you're drinking your coffee. He's like shuffling out and he bends over to pick up his newspaper and say, you know what, I think I can go help him out. I'll bring his paper in every morning. So you're bringing it in and when you're in there, you notice that, uh, you know, he's, he's reaching for, Hey, let me get that for you. You know, and now you're cooking him breakfast. Next thing you know, uh, you realize he has a doctor appointment, no way to get there. You take him to the doctor before you know it, you're this guy's caregiver. And you say, how did this happen to me? 
Well, and I'm I'm curious. You made a you made a, a comment about taking care of your wife, and well, that's what you're doing. But do you find in your industry right now what your the people that are coming to you for assistance are they mostly men taking care of their spouses or vice versa, or is it a good mix of both? I'm an unusual um, guy because only 20% of us are males caregivers. Most of the caregivers are females. And that doesn't surprise me because it's the mother in the woman, the nurturing, the, uh, you know, the parenting, the empathy, the sympathy. Very few men possess those qualities. You know, they're not in touch with their inner woman like I am, you know, (laughs) without being, without being gay. uh, I am in very in touch with my uh, inside woman, the all the attributes that most women are, um, uh, you know, known for. I'm, I'm working on my empathy because I could, I could use some more, you know, a lot of times my natural tendency is to say, well, deal with it. You know, you have the tools just, just instead of, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, some people don't want you to fix them. They just want you to listen how bad their day was. And, and so I'm learning that that's a good thing to do to just keep your mouth shut, put duct tape on it and just listen and don't say anything because they just need to. And so oh, I'm so glad we had this talk. Well, they did all the talking, <laughs> but that's, that's what I'm learning to do. So most caregivers are women. Uh, and there could be a variety of reasons why. Uh, but unfortunately when there are uh, an opportunity for a man to step up and become a caregiver, they'll do it but they're not very good at it. I wasn't very good at it. Like I said, I, you know, after a year, I wrote her this, this letter. I was ready to give up because I says, I can't fix this. This is no good. It's a thankless job. It's kind of like being a politician, you know, uh, you become a public servant. Now you're the target of ridicule and, you know, death threats. And, you know, who needs that? Well, that's you got to do it. You know, men t- typically are the, the breadwinners of the family. True. And so when the woman goes down, how did you keep being the breadwinner and dropping everything at the same time to take care of her? Very fortunate. I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. So, you know, at that time, I think I only had one gas station. I had downsized. And it was a good gas station. Still have it. And I had good people working for me. And I remember um, him saying, Dave, you just do whatever you have to do. I'm here. I'm going to handle things. And so that was uh, very good that I had somebody to do that. Um, I'm also very fortunate because my wife is a like cross between Martha Stewart and Wonder Woman, which we're going to meet Martha Stewart in uh, at Carnegie Hall uh, this month. And my mother, my mother, oh my gosh, is that a Freudian slip or what? My wife and Martha are going to have picture taken together. So I think that is just so cool because I've been saying for years that she's like a cross between Martha Stewart and she is, she's like- That's how you describe her for Yeah, Susie Homemaker, she's a gourmet cook and she just does everything. She was a wedding coordinator, she was a interior decorator. She's a great seamstress. She just does it all and still does it all. And I don't know how she does it. She's like, you know, one arm and one leg tied behind her back and duct tape over her mouth. And she puts normal people to shame. (laughs) She puts on dinner parties still, you know, yeah, it might take us uh, five days to prepare for it and five hours at the supermarket, but she does it and she doesn't want any help. You know, (laughs) I'm just there to reach for the 
broccoli that she can't reach for, stuff like that. Well, Dave, tell us about, well, first tell us about the books, because we mentioned that already. And then I'm going to want you to explain more about your shows that you're on, because you're on multiple. Yes, I'm all over the place. (laughs) So here's my first book. And this was um, because I took this uh, course from uh, Craig Duswalt, How to Write a Book in 30 Days. And by golly, he's right. I wrote this book in 30 days. What is it called? It is called One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships. Because I figured I'm going to write about my life. I'm going to write about basically what I just told you. That was the, uh, the abridged version. This is the unabridged version, all the details of how I survived uh, that grief period. You know, uh, anytime we suffer loss, we go through a grief period, a process. And the first part of the process is denial. Oh my God, this isn't happening. You know, and you try to deny it or ignore it. And you can only do that for so long. And if you continue to ignore it, then you're becoming delusional. You're, you're creating an alter reality in your mind. And, you know, my mother-in-law did that when she had dementia, you know, uh, she would rather believe that people were breaking into her house every hour, stealing all her stuff and hiding them and uh, rather than believe that, well, maybe you need to go to the doctor. Maybe something's happening to your mind. So after we get over the denial, then the next phase is uh, bargaining. You know, in the case, um, if you lose a girlfriend, uh, maybe the bargaining would be, oh, can we still be friends? You know, just anything. Just keep your foot in the door. It's very hard to bargain when the doctor tells you you have cancer because the doctor, you know, and it's uncurable. Uh, then we go to God and we start bargaining with God. God, if you just heal me, you know, I'll go to church every Sunday and, and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kiss my mother-in-law every day or whatever it is, you know, the foxhole Christian mentality. And after we realize that bargaining and denial doesn't work, then we progress to the anger and we become angry, angry at everybody, everything. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. It's government's fault. It's the doctor's fault. The hospital's fault. I'm going to sue them, you know, and, and so you get that out of your system. But after a while, you realize that anger doesn't fix anything. So then you become depressed. <laughs> and this is the most um, concerning phase because a lot of suicides uh, happen when we're depressed. I mean, you know, Kate Spade, Robin Williams, Anthony Bourdain, uh, all these people, whatever they were going through, uh, they were probably depressed when they took their lives. And you can look at them and say, well, what have they got to be depressed about? You know, well, I don't know. I'm not in their bodies. I'm not in their minds. But, you know, looks are deceiving. Can't judge a book by its cover. But then finally we reach that, that coveted place called acceptance, where we embrace the new normal, and we decide that we're just going to make this work somehow. We turn that, those lemons into lemonade. Or, uh, you know, as my wife uh, decided, she says, you know, I'm still alive. I wish I was dead. Uh, I'm not going to kill myself. Like the doctor says, hide the pills because women like to take pills to kill themselves. Men prefer using a gun, which is messier. But... Uh, it's really, I, I think you're muted because I can't yeah. hear you. There no, we go. That's because men don't care who has to clean it up. Women that's have to right. worry about the cleanup process. Now, you know, I had a very good friend who recently also committed suicide. And, you know, 
she was gorgeous. She had a beautiful family. Her husband was a fireman, had everything going for her. And she was just fighting with depression. Uh, she went into a, an institution for six months trying to work it out, came out. Maybe a couple of months later, they found her at the bottom of her pool. She had strapped uh, weights from her gym to her feet. Wow. Somebody, somebody had to pull her out of the pool. You know, they don't think about how the, the person's going to have to clean up the mess. And there's many different kinds of messes, you know. So that's the grief process. And it took us about two and a half years to get over it. Both of us were grieving. I was grieving the loss of my wife because she wasn't the same. She was grieving the loss of her body. We had to move. She grieved the loss of her house because we had stairs. You couldn't do stairs anymore. She lost the relationship with her one-year-old granddaughter because she didn't want to hang around grandma anymore. She looked a little too weird. She lost. Uh, she couldn't drive anymore. She was grieving. She had so many things she was grieving. And I was grieving as well. But finally, like I said, we got over it and we decided, okay, we're still here. She said, God must not be finished with me yet. So I'm just going to reinvent myself. And she decided she was going to do everything she did before. And you know what? She does about 90% of it. Uh, she sews with one hand. How do you do that? She cooks with one hand. She, <laughs> you know, she's got a mouth. She uses her a mouth for the other hand most of the times or her shoulder or under her armpit carrying things. I mean, I've never seen such a more versatile woman. And uh, she's coming to Carnegie Hall with me and I'm bringing my granddaughter as well because she's a chip off the old block too. I put her to beauty school. Now she's a beautician. Now she's bringing clients in for, you know, to do. And I, I'm uh, bringing her to Craig's events and Clint's events. And uh, I'm gonna develop, uh, help her develop her entrepreneurial skills. So the second book, I'm, I'm certainly long-winded, aren't I? You just okay, cut you me off life, whenever you want me to. You're making my life very easy. Yeah, we have a whole hour to fill up. And uh, I'm usually on the other side of the mic and, and interviewing people for a whole hour. It's a whole hour? How am I going to do it? I says, don't worry, it goes fast. Yeah. <laughs> so my second book, the following year, I figure, you know, this is, this is fun. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to write another book in 30 days. What can I write about? I know, my gas station. Because every time I go to a party, I'm the life of the party. Everyone wants to know. They, they don't know anybody in the gas station business. And once they find out you own a gas station, they got all these questions, you know, and they're all the same questions, you know, is premium uh, better than regular? Should I really pay the extra price? Uh, is Arco, you know, is it okay if I buy the cheap stuff or do I have to go, you know, buy Chevron and, and the oil companies, do they tell you how much to charge or you have to do that by yourself? Well, I answered all those in this book. And this okay. book is called Getting Hosed, Secrets, Confessions, and Tales of the Gas Station Owner. And I tell about, you know, the secrets of the oil companies and how evil and greedy they are. And, and uh, I, I've been through two gas shortages and a lot of funny stories there. And so anyone who is uh, somewhat interested in, in behind-the-scenes gas station oil industry, that's a great book, really fun book. Third book I wanted to write, I wanted to bounce it out the following year, but I have a friend who's a New York Times bestselling author. She begged me not to. She says, please don't self-publish your third book. Go find a, a, a publisher and do it right because, you know, you've got a great message. I wanted it to be for two caregivers because none of these books really were caregivers. One was my memoir. One for the, for the gas station. So I took three years to write and edit and consult with and do it all over again a hundred times. And finally, 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 I birthed. <laughs> and boy, it was a hard birth. 
I birthed this uh, Amazon bestseller in one day uh, in two categories. It's my life too, gosh darn it. Uh, reclaim your caregiver sanity by learning when to say yes and when to say no. I really wanted to call this the selfish caregiver, but they said, oh, no, 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 you can't. You can't use the word selfish. That's too negative of a word, you know? And so I said, okay. And then I wanted to put my my picture on the cover of me sailing here. And they said, no, 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 you can't do that. You know, you have to be famous to, to put your picture on the cover of a book. And I says, well, I am famous in my circles. So anyway, we compromised uh, a little photograph of me here and of my and my wife's hands there. You know, publishers have these rules. I don't know where they come from, but, you know, uh, you've really got to take control of, you know, if you believe something needs to happen a certain way, don't let a publisher, don't let anybody convince you differently. At, at the least, compromise, you know. So this book just helps you realize that if you don't take care of yourself first, you don't put your oxygen mask on first, you're going down. I mean, even the Bible says, love others the way you love yourself, right? Everybody knows that scripture. But guess what? You can't love anybody if you don't love yourself because you're supposed to love others as you love. So if you're doing a terrible job at loving yourself, you're going to do a terrible job of loving others. Only makes sense, right? It makes sense. Well, and I, I appreciate what you do because... We have like one of the elder, what is the oldest um, generation of of people going, uh, an elderly pro population. I mean, my parents. Yeah, we're getting older. Yeah, we're getting older, but there's a larger group of the older than the younger. Right, right. We outnumber everybody else, except yeah. uh, millennials. I think are are getting up there, and they may be outnumbering us, but but, but who's going to take be, care of us? They're going to you know? be in worse trouble because yeah. they're not having kids. I know. That's what China found out. Remember, China says one child, one child. Well, now they're realizing, I think we made a mistake because uh, those, those parents who only had one child are now in, you know, a uh, healthcare system. And that one child, well, as you may know, there's when you have five or six kids, there's usually only one or two who are good candidates. The rest of them you don't want taking care of you. But when you only have one to choose from, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah, you're in so, trouble. yeah, you're right. And so I, I look at that demographic doing, okay, we're, we're in this large age group of, you know, I would say 50 to 70s. And it's a large group of us. And we didn't all have a lot of children. So we had maybe one or two children. So we're going to have this dilemma. And it's going to be whichever spouse or caregiver, caregiver, <laughs> who can take care of the other spouse or the other, the other person in the couple, because we're not going to have the children to take care of us. Like the, our grandparents did. Right. There's going to be a, there's going to be an influx there. And I, I, I care, I'm so curious about that, but by what you do and what you're teaching, what you're sharing, we start being more aware of our roles now. Yeah. So, like, um, I, I told you my husband learned by fire hose when I got really sick. He had to learn everything I'd been doing and never telling him about because he was <laughs> busy to know what I did. Well, I paid all the bills. I knew all the bank accounts. I, I knew and the passwords. All, right? I knew all the passwords too, yeah. And so when I had an head, my head injury, it was all locked in here. He had nothing. Yeah. Well, that's why we help people with lists, you know, to organize because caregivers are very unorganized. 
in fact, just to mention uh, a solution to what you what we were talking about is long-term care insurance. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a tiny portion of the population even have them. Yeah. But the time to get them is when you're younger, like in your early 50s, late 40s. That's what I did because I saw that my wife didn't have it and I had to pay all this money out because we didn't think of long-term care insurance. Who does? Especially when you're young. She had her stroke when she was 52, which is relatively young. Yeah. 52 sounded old to me, you know, most of my life. But when I, all of a sudden it sounds pretty young. Yeah. 65, which I am now, sounded really old. And now all of a sudden, 65 ain't so bad. It's the new 40. I don't know. <laughs> So I paid $110 a month for um, a long-term care policy that will pay $400 a day um, with a $400,000 maximum to a facility who will care for you when your children can't. And I, I remember when he sold it to me, he says, Dave, you will be able to stay at the finest place in Malibu overlooking the ocean. And I tell my kids that, and he says, we're not putting you there, Dad, because you won't even know where you are. We'll just, we'll just, you know, spend the rest of the money somehow. Because we'll I always turn the wall, make you yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of true and sad in, in a way. That I've told my children from a very early age, from when they were like three and four, I says, you know, one day Daddy's going to be old, and and someone has to change his diaper, and and you're the one. You've got to change Daddy's diaper when he's really old and gray. And they go, ooh, and, and now that they're like 30 and 40 and 50, I still tell them, you know, you might have to be changing my diaper one day. Says, no, you have long-term care. We're just going to stick you somewhere. <laughs> so, you know, you just don't know how the kids are going to respond until it actually happens. You don't know who the caregiver in the family is going to be. You don't know who the compassionate one's going to be. You don't know who the one is going to be who says, pull the plug. He's had a good life, you know, yeah. and I'm okay with that. I've, you know, I have an advanced directive. That's another thing you need to let people know, you know, your wishes. Do you want to be on machines the rest of your life? I mean, I'm, I'm a strong man of faith. I know where I'm going when it's my time and I gladly go and I give permission to everybody to let me go, pull the plug, or if necessary, help me out. You know, I, I told them where all the guns are. I just make it look like an accident. You know? <laughs> I'm kidding, but not really. <laughs> that's, that's terrible and funny. I know. I think seniors need to have the right, if, they're, if they have an incurable disease and they're suffering or going through pain, like my mother-in-law was just suffering with, just torturing herself with this dementia. I'm sorry. She needed to go before, you know, and, and I don't know how to do that or the morality of it or the legality of it, but, uh, Laws need to be changed that, that you have the right to die, you know, if you really want to. Now, not if you're like uh, Anthony Bourdain and you're living a great life and you just happen to be depressed. No, you have to be protected um, from making a permanent solution to a temporary problem, you know, like depression. Depression can be solved with antidepressants or, or other things. Uh, some people think that Robin Williams' depression was uh, brought on by his uh, Parkinson's or whatever. But uh, I'm talking about just for people who have a death sentence on them. You know, they, they need to have that right. But 
that's just my opinion. That's your opinion. <laughs> for those of you who just reached in, who just started watching or just tuned in on SoundCloud, we're talking to Dave Nassani, and his website's www.caregiverdave.com. And wow, he, he, he's got quite the story. So if you came in, you want to go back and listen to the beginning of it. And he's got three books. He's got a podcast syndicated over what, how, please fill us in on that. You've got a podcast, a radio show, and it's kind of everything. So, so I'm doing three uh, broadcasts. The first one is the one I've been doing for six years now, and that's uh, uh, Dave the Caregiver's Caregiver, or sometimes we just call it the Caregiver Dave Show. And that's on 20 different platforms now uh, all across uh, the world, really. Uh, some of them are video and some of them are audio, you know, things like YouTube and iTunes and iHeartRadio and, and all of that stuff, SoundCloud. And then uh, once a month, I do a uh, syndicated radio show to um, 135 countries and all 50 states on the HealthyLife.net network. And those are mostly terrestrial radio and, and other uh, internet in some of the remote locations in the world. And then through the Neil Haley show, uh, I do with him once a week a uh, celebrity caregiver broadcast where we'll find celebrities and we'll talk about their celebrity status. And then uh, at the very end of the interview, I'll talk about, uh, you know, so how has caregiving affected your life? You know, uh, are your parents uh, of the age that you worry about them? And and nine, nine times out of 10, these celebrities who never publicize anybody start breaking down and saying, yeah, you know, my going through this right now with my mother and, and this and that, and it's just really heartwarming. And so that's the extent of the broadcast that we do. And uh, basically if you just Google Dave and caregiver, uh, everything about me will come up page after page, after page, after page. I've got, I've got the market on those two words. So that's good. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you type in caregiver, uh, I'm at the bottom of the list because there's just, just so many caregivers. Well, you're doing very well getting out there into the world. And I am writing my fourth book now because you can't stop writing, right? You got to keep going because everybody wants to know, well, what are you doing lately? Yeah, I know about that, but now what are you doing? And so you got to keep moving forward. So about 18 months ago, I realized, you know, I'm a very wise person. I'll just say very humbly, I've been wise all my life. I've been given the gift of wisdom, many have said. And um, from an early age, as a teenager, I was counseling my, my teenage friends about, you know, how they can get a girl and say, I can't get this. I said, yes, you can. All you got to do is this, you know, like Cyrano de Bergia. I said, just do this, say that and go there. And it would work every time. And, but over the years, I've discovered that many people don't take my advice, even though it's great wisdom. I know it's shocking. And, and so I would, I would talk about this to other coaches and I say, you know, 90% of the time, people who I give free advice to, they don't follow it. And then I'll see them again in a year and I say, hey, how's that problem? They say, oh, it's worse. And I say, well, did you do what I told you to do? No, I didn't. Well, maybe that's why it's worse. Maybe you should do it, you know, try it. And then you'll see them again and they still won't do it. Or uh, you'll offer free coaching uh, session and people don't call. Craig says this all the time. He says, 
People have access to me. I've given out my cell number. You know how many people have called me? Zero. It's like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. So I discovered that I have to charge now for counseling and coaching and mentoring because people put a value on the words you tell them as advice. Yes. And if it's free, then the value is zero, which means, you know, that's must not be important. And um, that's, that's really sad because uh, ever since I've started charging uh, people, well, I'll give you an example. Uh, you have a doctor appointment in the morning and let's say you were at a party just having fun and you got home late and now you're tired and, you're supposed to get up at seven o'clock to get to your eight o'clock appointment. If that doctor isn't charging you a hundred dollars, whether you show up or not, you're not going to be there. So that's the power of, of having some skin invested in the game. And so my membership website is $97 and with it, you get a whole bunch of stuff. You get an amazing uh, support group, an amazing community of people tools and resources and videos, you know, five minute stuff, uh, 30 second stuff, one hour stuff, whatever you need. You know, if you're having a tragedy uh, with your loved one and you only have enough time to sneak away for five minutes in the bathroom, there's something in there to help you during those five minutes. So you come out a rejuvenated person, or if you can sneak away for an hour, I've got something to rejuvenate you in an hour and so on. And it's $97 for life. It's not per month. It's not per week. And now that they're invested, they've got skin in the game, they are more likely to say, you know, I, I'm going to use it. I'm paying for that thing. I, I got to use it. It's like the gym membership, right? Uh, you can't get out of a gym membership once you join. You're in it for life. It takes a lawsuit to get out. And then you'll lose. <laughs> so it's like most of these people are paying $35, $45 a month, and they never go. And and so when I remind them uh, – you should go because you're paying whether you go or not. And so the smart ones will eventually go. Yes, eventually. That's as Forrest Gump would say, and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> well, thank you very much. <laughs> so, yes. Uh, well, you, you never said the name of the fourth book. Oh, yeah. See, I, I get distracted. And so I was beginning to tell you about that. So feel free to guide me back on the path when I go on rabbit trails. So anyway, I decided that I'm being very selfish, keeping all this wisdom to myself. And so I, I said, I'm going to make some five minutes of Dave's Hammock Wisdom videos, Facebook Live. And so I started doing it. I have over 100 of them now, maybe 120 or so. I've got to count. And so I, I have them on uh, my YouTube channel, my Caregiver Dave YouTube channel, and they're on uh, Facebook Live on my Facebook page, Dave the Caregiver's Caregiver. And I realized, oh my gosh, not everybody is on Facebook. Not everybody's on YouTube. I'm going to have to write a book. So I am writing my fourth book. It's called Dave's Hammock Wisdom. And it's got a great picture of me on a hammock in Hawaii on a wonderful beach. And it, the subtitle is 99 Lessons Learned Living Life. And I basically transcribed all my videos and I'm doing that. But then I realized that the way we speak and the way we write are two different things. And so now I'm going through editing and I say, oh my gosh, do I really talk like this? <laughs> I'm almost having to start over from scratch, take 
sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, and just rephrasing it and saying, no, there, there's a duplicate of words there. There's, there's present tense here and past tense here. And I said, I might have just started from scratch. It would have taken less time. So I'm okay. on lesson 40 now of 99. And so it's a slow process. But I, my goal is to finish by the end of the year. You will have that book. Well, that's awesome because uh, I'm doing the same book, but it's off my Wednesday wisdoms that I do on Facebook Live every Wednesday. What do you mean the same book? The same kind of book. It's my transcription. Oh, transcribing. Of yeah. my Wednesday wisdoms. So did you discover that, that, that you just can't transcribe it and publish it? It, just, it requires a lot of, I don't mean just little tweaks here and there. It requires a lot of work. Well, you've got to think, that's how I wrote my first book because I had uh, my brain injury. And so yeah. my husband had me tell my story out loud and we had like a dragon software that was picking me up and yeah, but that needed lots of editing as well right i yeah, have a brain injury so mid-sentence <laughs> i would just stop and he'd do well what's the rest of the story i do what story so <laughs> really nice man because he walked me through making that book and it was apparently well, painful. god bless I him i don't remember it <laughs> he told me yeah, everybody knows your story, right? No, not everybody. Right. Well, I give you permission to give them the 60-second version in my interview here, just in <laughs> case they're saying, well, what's she talking about? What's she talking about? Watch my TEDx. I tell my okay. story in my TEDx. It's, it's on my website, www.michellemoross.com. It says TEDx on the back of the stage on me, and it's called Eat, Drink, and Be Merry. A Glimpse into a Life Well Lived. It is my first book. So my TEDx talk is my conclusion of my entire book. And did you have to memorize it or did they give you cue cards? Teleprompter. Wow. So your brain must be working really good now. <laughs> Come on. You memorized your whole book and then you did it on TEDx. No, my po I, only, I did my, uh, my conclusion. So oh. I did my TEDx first. And I spoke from the stage. And then when I came off stage, they said, where's your book? And then I wrote the book in two weeks. Yeah. Well, as you know, I also did a TEDx in Wilmington, Delaware. And I was just going to do what I always do. And he says, no, 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 you can't do that. I said, why not? And he says, you're promoting yourself. We don't, we don't want to know uh, what you've done. We want an idea worth spreading. And so I had to remove everything that promoted me or said where I've done and what I did. And, and I only had half a speech. So uh, I, I got some help from a TEDx coach, which was really very helpful. And I realized that um, I needed to, I lost my train of thought again. Uh, you yeah, and I must be related in that way. TEDx coach because you had to take all of your promotional things out of a TEDx. I'm actually a TED coach, a TEDx coach. Oh, we take. I should have called you. <laughs> you didn't know me then. Yeah, yes. but we could have. We could have met. Well, let me see here. But TEDx is different because you do have to. You can. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Thank you. Uh, so, um, we needed a title for the speech. And I remembered the book that they, my publisher wouldn't let me publish. How about with something with the word selfish in it? And I expected them to say, no, 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 you can't use selfish. But they loved it. They said, yes, yes, that's perfect. It's a great hook. And he says, okay, how about K 
caregivers need to be selfish in order to survive. They said, we love it. We love it. And so that was the, <clears throat> that was the, um, the message worth spreading. So cool. that's how you can find me. Just uh, say caregiver Dave, selfish, and it'd probably come up. <laughs> no, my, my thing with my TEDx is um, after I did it, people kept running up to me. I, I went to the National Speakers Association. Someone screamed it out to me. But it was, they were, the thing I didn't want to be remembered is what got remembered. <laughs> Eat dessert um, first. Dessert first. Mm-hmm. But I talk about, you know, enjoying the little things in life while you still have it. Yes, and I talk about that too. Um, because I realized that on August 31st, 1996, my wife did not know that the very last word she would ever speak on earth would be, Dave, please rub my head, my headache return. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, what would we have done differently if we knew? Would we have gone somewhere? Would we have done something? Would we have said something? Uh, so I now live my life because I'm a very frugal person. You know, I'm, I'm, I like to plan things out. I don't like to waste money. But now I have a totally different attitude. Um, we travel all the time, and I spend lots of time with uh, kids. In fact, we'll travel with the kids because I may be dead tomorrow. I live my life as if it was the last day on earth, the last week on earth, the last year on earth. And I don't want to have any re regrets when I on my deathbed. I don't want to say, oh, I should have went to Tahiti when I had the chance. No, I went. Oh, I should have jumped out of an air. No, I did it. Oh, I should have, you know, spoke at Harvard. Guess what? You know, yeah. no regrets because there's no pain worse than the pain of regret. You know, you'd be like uh, Marlon Brando in that movie on the waterfront. I could have been a contender, you know. <laughs> no couldas, shouldas, or wouldas. No, if you want, and I, that's one of the things I talk about all the time. Do stop, stop wishing and wanting and do it because you honestly are not promised tomorrow. I mean, yeah. you know, I have the brain injury six months after I started talking on the circuit, I found I had breast cancer. So, oh boy! and then given about three months to live. So I went from, okay, I think I'm dying. I wish I was dying. This is terrible. I hate not being able to speak to, oh, I'm speaking. Oh wait, your body's dying on you now. So you never know what you're going to get. And you never know when your last moment is. So people ask me why I'm so happy. I'm happy because I'm living every day like it's my last. So if I walk out the door right now Amen. and I drop head, everyone knows how I feel about them and that I was a happy human just to be here. Yeah. So work on the will so that when you leave, you know, all the passwords are somewhere that someone can find them and all your, your last desires and what song you want played at your funeral and you want to party or you know, whatever you want to say. If you're dead and you're looking down, and say, oh man, I should have told them that. How are they going to figure that out? They'll never figure that. I already you know? have all that down. Okay. Well, now I got to do that because <laughs> that's oh. the one part that I didn't do. I made a video like that, but it was like 30 years ago. It, it doesn't apply anymore. Some of it does, but most of it doesn't because a lot of things change in 30 years. You know, your kids are adults now, you have grandchildren of your own. So yeah, <laughs> I got to do that. So next time I see you, at uh will you be at the uh mastermind ask oh. me if i did it and okay. i will see if i did it because you know 
it's hard to just do stuff. Nike had it had a really good, great line. I, just do it. Just do it. And I tell people that all the time. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Matter of fact, I just bought my tickets for the mastermind. Good for you. And I just did something two weeks ago, and I'm very proud of myself. I never thought I would do this. What? Um, let me see if I got. I used to have my dream car when I was 18 years old. From 16 to 18, it was a 66 Chevelle SS396. A Chevelle? A Chevelle, yes. That's a cool car if you don't know. No, I know. My mother-in-law had Oh, okay. And the 66s are, are not very plentiful. A lot of 67s. I sold it for $1,500 when I was 18 because I wanted to drive to New York in a Volkswagen. Oh, what was I thinking? Anyway, so... I've been a family man all my life and frugal and everything. And so my granddaughter telling me that her car is breaking down and my Hyundai just hit a hundred thousand miles and those things will go for two fifty. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give you my car. I'm going to get another car. She said, Oh, thank you. And now I'm saying, okay, what car should I get? And I'm, and I'm looking at cars and, and all of a sudden popped in my head, you need a two seater roadster red convertible. And I said, really? I don't, I don't even know who I'm talking to. I said, really? And uh, I said, well, I don't want to take a mortgage out on a car. I said, just look for a used one. So I found a used one, uh, a Mazda Miata. Uh, looks like an MG. Red, one owner, garaged, shiny paint, brand new top they put on, new tires, everything. It only cost me $6,000. It's 2003. It's got 64,000 miles. And I went for it. And now I'm, I'm driving my dream car again since I was 18 years old. And I can't believe all the people that came up to me and says, Dave, I'm so happy that you got that. You deserve it. You know, have fun. Life is short. And I'm saying, did they just tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I can't tell caregivers to do all this. I'm not willing to do it myself. And it's true there's not much room in there. I mean, I don't even know if I can fit my wife in there, but we're going to try. Because she wants to, you well, know. They have the racks that you can hook to the back of the trunk. So yeah, that, that's true. We've got one of those for our bikes because um, I have a good idea. I have a Mazda Miata. I have a, I have a blue. You one. do? Oh my gosh! I knew there was something I liked about you. Well, here's the other thing I have that you just mentioned. I have a cherry red '69 uh, VW Bug. <laughs> oh my gosh! Fully <laughs> Bingo, bingo. Yeah. <laughs> So the two what year? parts of your story, what, I have them both. What year is the V-Dub? The V-Dub's a 69. Oh, my God. And it's cherry red, huh? Mm -hmm. I got to see that. Are you going to drive it to uh, L.A.? Or you don't drive no. that one? No, we only drive it in the summer in Colorado. It stays in a garage. I see. And what year is the Miata? The Miata is a 91. Oh, first generation. Yes. Wow, I have second generation. It was but, you know, I, I found that each each one has a fan club. It's like Corvettes, right? Everyone likes the 50s Corvettes. Everyone likes the 60s. Different people like the 70s and so on. And so I've got a classic. I'm never selling that car. That car, that Miata, was the first car my husband and I purchased as a wedding couple. Oh, wow. How many miles are on it now? Oh, my gosh. A lot? Yeah, because we, <laughs> we bought it when we lived in Washington State. And we used to drive down Highway mm. 1 all the way down California and all the way back up on the weekends. <laughs> so it still runs, right? Oh, it runs great. 
Actually, right now our college kid has it up in Denver for a couple. Oh, of months. lucky kid! I know. We need to get it back before they do something to it, like a hail. Yeah, you do. It's our. It's All our right. first baby. Well, enough about our cars. Yeah. Well, that's funny. We have something else in common. That is. And yeah. I had a great trip to New York in that Volkswagen. Cool. Now, Dave, we only have about six minutes left. See how time flies when you're having fun? I know, I know. So I wanted to go over anything that I didn't cover with you, and I'm trying to think. I think I covered every. I know we didn't talk about. You've spoken at Harvard, and you've spoken at a couple other huge like television show things. Do you want to share your experience, like the first time you went on national TV to talk and what that experience was like or anything like that? Well, I've been on a lot of local TV all across the country because mm -hmm. those are good places to start. You know, you don't, you don't want to start in New York. You don't want to start in Chicago. You don't want to start in L.A. because you're going to mess up because it takes time to get good and to, to feel comfortable and confident and not stutter and not use a, a thousand ums. So my very first one was in Palm Springs, California, and I brought my wife with me. And... Um, you know, I was told to bring an oxygen mask, you know, to do the, the uh, act it out, right? Real, and I couldn't find an oxygen mask anywhere. I'm looking everywhere, and and uh, you know, they wanted my Medicare number. I said, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not on Medicare. And so finally, I found one online somewhere who didn't care who I was. But before that, I had to go on the show, and and so I'm looking, and my cousin had given me a gas mask you know, years ago. And I said, well, I'm going to take this gas mask with me. <laughs> it was so funny. And so when I'm telling him, uh, you know, about the uh, uh, put your oxygen mask on first, I pull out this gas mask. And I says, here, try this on. And he looks at me and he looks, you know, it's a gas mask. Cute. And he was a good sport. He put the thing on and then he goes, <laughs> you know, and so but uh, I can see all the things that I did wrong on that show, but nobody else can. They, they, hey, that was great. Was, really? So it took me about four or five shows to, to get a lot better because uh, Clint Arthur is critiquing each one of them. He says, no, don't do that again. Or, yeah, do more of that. Or, you know, do it bigger. You know, I do the act outs. I do like uh, Fred Sanford. Oh, oh, it's a big one. No, it's not really it's a big one. Elizabeth, I'm coming to meet you, honey. You know, we talk about guilt and how uh, there are people in your lives who are always dispensing undeserved guilt and you just have to ignore it. You know, get rid of it like Lamont. So what else? Oh, yeah. So after that, um, I was on a syndicated radio show in Miami. Uh, I'm sorry, syndicated television show in Miami uh, called The Flash. And then um, the the most famous show I've been on so far is in the top 10, the number seven show in the country in uh, Washington, D.C. So my goal now, because it's harder and harder to get on these shows that are in the top 10 market. I only did one. And it's harder and harder to get on the shows that are national, like Good Morning America, uh, Dr. Oz, and the Today Show, and so on. And so I went to a national publicity summit in New York a few months ago and spoke with these producers, and they liked my story. And um, they says, you know, we're, we're going to try to get you on, but... You know, they always say that. Yeah, you just have to wait. So that's my goal to be on Dr. Oz. And I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Oz uh, at, uh, at uh, Harvard next year. So um, 
maybe I could schmooze a little and make it happen. Uh, that, that's that's the story. That's my goal now to be on more national television and more of the top 10. I've been on lots of syndicated radio shows, uh, publications, and so on. So right now I'm having a documentary uh, made about my life, and uh, we're excited about that. He was just here filming a radio show I was doing, and he follows me uh, to church. He followed me uh, at the gas station. He wants to follow me at our pool party. He wants to follow me at these events that we're doing, but, you know, you, you got to get permission first. So we're excited about that. Well, that's fabulous. You've got a lot of things in the works, so many, yep. many uh, things in the fires right now, and that's awesome. Yep. It's good to be on the go. Make sure you get your list done. When I see you in October, I would, I'll check. Mm -hmm. Thanks for the reminder. See, I already forgot. <laughs> I don't forget. <laughs> Even with my brain injury, I don't forget. All it's, right. It's, it's unusual the things that will stay in my head. But I wanted to say thank you so much for taking time to meet with me today and um, enduring the California sun for us because we are already losing our sun here in Colorado. So those of you who are listening and watching, this man over here, oops, right there, <laughs> is Dave Nassani. He is the caregiver's caregiver. You can learn more about him at www.caregiverdave.com. And that's Dave. D-A-V-E, caregiversdave.com. Don't do what I did. I kept trying to look for David, and that doesn't work. So caregiversdave.com. And uh, learn more about him. He's got his books out there, and they're all available. Uh, he's got a great little video and a story behind everything that he's been doing. He's got some good track record on him. So you can learn a lot about him very easily. You're easy to find when you spell your name right. Thank you. Thank you, Dave, for joining me. And uh, any last words? You get like one second. One second. You know what? If you know anybody who is in this role of caregiving, send them our way. Caregiverdave.com. You just might be saving their life. Or heck, you might be saving your own life. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dave. You have a great week, everybody. Join me next week for another special guest. And we will talk to you all then. Thanks. The opinions made by the host or guest do not reflect those of the show, management, the Bender Carey Group, or its ancillaries.